to another episode of Being at Work. I'm your host, Andrea Butcher, and today's guest has a fabulous story about a situation that he calls a lightning strike moment. As he was telling me about this situation a few weeks ago, we both got emotional as there's so much powerful learning in this leadership challenge. Ian Heller writes, speaks, and consults on strategy, business trends, marketing, and disruption in the distribution industry. But what you really need to know about Ian is his ability to lead through a really tough situation that many would have bolted from with humility and a growth mindset. He describes the situation as the day I almost got fired for being stupid. So check it out. I had a sort of unconventional childhood. My parents were both immigrants from Europe. They went to Canada. I was born there. Then we moved to the U.S. when I was one. My dad was a minister and a college professor, so we moved around a lot. And I was uh, four times the new kid in town, the minister's son, whose last name began with the word hell. Uh, and I was a very late bloomer, so I was pretty small. So it was kind of rough, right? I mean, people have had it rougher, but it wasn't fun uh, sometimes. And some of those school districts weren't that great. So I went to college. I was completely unready, barely uh, survived grade-wise through my first year. And I wound up uh, getting a job at a company called Granger as a truck unloader uh, when I was, I don't know, 21 years old and uh, at a branch in Fort Collins, Colorado. I dropped out of school for a long time. I went back later and uh, finished, but I felt, you know, lived a lot of that, wow, you don't have a degree discrimination, which I also have written about uh, in the past. And anyway, so I did a good job at Granger and I was invited to join the branch management training program as the company expanded. And that's really where this story begins, I believe. So joined the branch manager training program. Was that something you had aspired to? Was it just because you were doing a good job that you were asked to participate? It was the first substantive job anyone ever offered me. So I said yes, because that was my level of career planning at the time. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, this sounds okay. Yeah. And I was broke, right? I mean, I, you know, I didn't even have mo enough money to go to school. And this promised the you know princely sum of like $40,000 a year, which even back in Gosh, I was 1990 when I joined that training program, uh, or not, 1989 was not very much money, but it was by far more than I'd ever made. So uh, they shipped me from Fort Collins down to Phoenix, Arizona for, for training. Okay. And it was a path. It was a path. Yeah, it was exciting. And I liked Granger, and I still do. It's a great company. And, uh, and I liked the industrial nature of it and visiting factories and selling, you know, or electrical and mechanical products. It was fun and interesting. And I liked managing people I discovered. So it was a great choice in retrospect. Great. So starting to learn some things about yourself. So how did it go? You went through the training, I'm assuming, and became a branch manager. Well, yeah. So the, the training was supposed to be 18 months and then you're supposed to spend 18 months as an assistant manager. And I was a branch manager after just nine months. Now, well, you know, so at the time someone told me, Ian, you know, you're 24 years old, you're probably the youngest branch manager in the history of Granger. Now, I actually didn't know if that was true, but it sounded good to me. So I told everyone. <laughs> you took it on. Look, look at you yeah. marketing at such an early age. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, the reality is that it was much less about my any talents that I had and the fact that the company had just decided to double the branch count from 150 to 300. And so they were, you know, sort of reaching into, I hate to say the bottom of the barrel, reaching into the experience part of the barrel. 
and uh, promoting people like me. So I opened a branch in Phoenix and then about a year later, I moved to Billings, Montana to manage that branch, uh, which doesn't sound like a promotion, but it was because I had a little tiny branch in Phoenix and this branch in Billings that actually served many states and had been around for a long time and had a veteran staff. So I was, I felt like I was kind of the king of the world. Yeah. Well, and a new leadership challenge then for you. Yeah. And most of my employees were uh, older than me and more experienced and uh, had a lot to teach me, although I didn't know that at the time or wouldn't, wouldn't own up to it, I guess. Well, and when I asked you about a pivotal moment in your career, because I, you know, I've, I've known you from a past life and I knew you would have lots of moments, but you immediately went to this story. There was a, a, a pivotal moment in your career that happened in this Billings, Montana branch. Yeah, well, it was taught me lessons that I used for the rest of my career, still still apply today. And uh, what happened was I had learned how to be very good at, you know, selling and marketing promotions and growing sales in my very young career. And so I think like a lot of people at that age, you think that the stuff that you're good at is more important than the stuff that you're not good at. And I wasn't good at administrative tasks and bookkeeping and all that stuff. And there was a woman in the branch named uh, Judy, who was really the central character in this story. And she was ferociously well-organized and a formidable personality. And I thought the world of her in, in some ways, because I, I could tell that she was, you know, a strong-willed and smart person but I just kind of ignored her advice. And I know I was frustrating her because she thought things like making the branch bank deposits on time were important and doing the inventory cycle counts and reconciling the cash drawer and getting performance reviews done on time, all that. She thought that stuff was important. And in my view, none of that mattered as long as we were making our sales plan. And so I just sort of kept her at arm's length. And you know, I know she was very, very frustrated with me and none of that stuff got done. But you were making the sales plan. And so that probably kept you going, right? Because there was momentum there. So for how long? How long were you in the branch? And was she pretty much immediately like, hey, Ian, we need to focus on this administrative stuff. Did that happen pretty quickly? Yes, because that was her strength. And I didn't think it was important as what I was good at. And so I, I'm sure had this gone on for much longer, she would have found another job. <laughs> because I was driving her crazy. Uh, but Granger at the time had a policy where within your first year, every branch manager has an audit, an internal audit. And so I was probably there seven or eight months and they sent out two young guys like me, single guys, as I recall, from Chicago to audit my branch. And man, I won them over. They were having a great time. We went out every night and partied and, you know, I liked them and I could tell they liked me. And, you know, while I was focused on sales, they were going through the transactions and the books and looking at the inventory records and the bank deposits and all that other unimportant stuff. And at the end of the week, these two nice people uh, came into my office. My boss, Dennis, flew up from Denver, and they sat down and showed Dennis 11 pages of violations of Granger policies and processes, and very professionally and politely recommended that he find someone else to run the Billings, Montana branch. And it occurred to me in that moment that whether or not I was the youngest branch manager in the history of Granger, I was almost certainly 
going to be the youngest one ever to be fired. And I remember Dennis looked at me, he, you know, actually he, you know, thanked them for their recommendation and, and they didn't necessarily recommend I be fired, but certainly, you know, demoted and put into a different role or fired. Uh, there weren't a lot of other roles in the Billings, Montana branch. So after they left, Dennis sat back in his chair and looked at me and he said, what are you going to do about this, Ian? Which was a really interesting reaction because he could have yelled and he was an important part of this story as well. He could have gotten mad at me, acted immediately on their recommendation. Certainly I had not earned that question. That came from his willingness to let me respond. And I said, I'm going to go apologize to Judy and tell her she has been right all along. And I'm going to ask her to teach me how to run this branch because I obviously wasn't paying attention when I was in training. So I'm struck by so many things in this story. Like there's a lot here to unpack. But so in that moment, here's these guys you had been buddied up with for a couple of days, outlining 11 pages of violations in front of Dennis. How were you feeling sitting there listening to that? Humiliated, embarrassed, ashamed. I wanted to crawl into my filing cabinet and go away. And they were also right. I mean, they these were very nice people. And I got to know them in my, you know, subsequent years at Granger. And I never held it against them. They were right. I, and But that's what's so interesting to me that you, so in your humiliation and anger, I suspected that's how you were feeling because you were, you were hitting the sales plan. So, but you just, did you not get defensive? Like I didn't hear, I heard you say to Dennis, hey, like I need to apologize to Judy. Not, but I'm hitting my sales plan. Like, where was the defensiveness? Or were you defensive and you just you just didn't react that way? No, I think, you know, there's a, a writer or philosopher named Samuel Johnson who's famous for the quote, nothing focuses the mind like an execution. It was very clear that my job was on the line and that if I didn't respond appropriately. You would be gone. That's right. And so I wouldn't give me too much credit for maturity or emotional intelligence, I was facing an execution and I knew it. And uh, and that was your only path was to like take full ownership and move forward. If I had said anything to Dennis other than they are completely right, I am completely wrong and here's, I'm going to fix it. He would have taken some other action. So he, he, he gave me the ability to do the right thing, but it was very obvious based on the conversation, what the right thing to do was. Well, but what a great lesson learned for early career leaders, I think. Just owning your part, put down the defenses and be willing with humility to recognize, okay, here's an area of growth for me. We resist that a lot of the time. When well-intended people give you criticism, you need to listen to them. And also, I think it's important to remember that all of us can be wrong, right? And even when you're confident about something, and these these were nice guys who were do, just doing their jobs, and they were presenting real facts in black and white. There was no ambiguity. <laughs> There's nothing to argue with. Um, and you know, so Dennis and Dennis certainly could have said, "That's it. I'm pulling you out. You know, demoting you, moving you, firing you, whatever." And uh, instead, after I said what I said about going to Judy and apologizing, he said, "Good answer. I'll be back in a month to audit you myself." Oh wow. So it was pretty clear what the next step was. Yes. So one more question before we go. I can't wait to hear about this conversation with Judy. 
but before we go there, so you talked about how you, you are a relational person. So I'm not at all surprised to hear you say these auditors come into your branch and you, you buddy up with them and go out and have some fun. And that's just who you are, right? You're very <laughs> dynamic and friendly and well, thank you. <laughs> welcoming in that way. But did you ever think like, as you were doing that, were you, were you buttering them up or were you, were you worried at all about the audit? I was not the slightest bit worried about the audit. Really? No, I know that's just dumb. Really? That's just dumb. It never occurred to me that this was going to be a problem. These were like corporate people visiting and we're going to have some fun. I mean, and that's how immature I was, right? So I, I made no attempt to prepare for the audit. I didn't go back and see if I'd done things well. I just believed that that stuff didn't matter. And that's sort of the hubris of youth, right? That that and this is one of the main takeaways from the story is that ever since then, I've placed a very high value on people who have skills that I don't have. And if you look at the people who've reported to me over the years, there are always you know two or three people who are the new Judys, right? They're hyper organized. They care about the details. They cr cross all the T's and dot all the I's, and they know that they have unrestricted access to come into my office and demand that we do those details well. And I've almost flipped in my valuation, I guess, of skills over the years where it's like now, it's like, I can't value those people enough. And I feel like, you know, hey, I'm glad I have the strengths that I do, but it's meaningless if I don't find people like that to operationalize those capabilities and ideas. Yeah. Thank goodness for Judy. I mean, she is a star player in this because you did have, you did have some insight into the value because of her, right? Which gave you a path to take when Dennis said, Hey, what are you going to do about it? Yeah. If I didn't have Judy, if she'd quit before, I don't know that there would have been a path for me. Okay. So you went to Judy and apologized. How'd that go? Uh, I went well. I mean, you know, she didn't smile. She was like, you know, it's about time. Right. And, or, or, I don't know if she was thinking I told you so. She certainly could have. Judy's a nice, gracious person. And, uh, but I think, you know, I frustrated her so much. And it's just, she's just not that emotive, right? So she was like, great, let's get the place cleaned up. And uh, for the next month, it was like a, you know, 12 hour a day tutoring lesson with her teaching me all the stuff that I'd ignored when I was in training. Um, and uh, Dennis came back a month later and we had, it was a perfect audit. He basically redid, he couldn't do the whole week of or a whole week's worth of work, but he had all he had all the important stuff. And uh, man, we were squared away Judy style. Man, and what a moment for her to shine! That must have been, that must have been energizing for Judy. Like, what was it? Or yeah, what was that like for her? Yeah, I think she enjoyed her job a lot more. I think that. It was it was it was validating for her, and you know when you're around people like that who like if you've ever worked with a person who's really really good at organizing organizing events, they're miserable and frustrated if people won't give them dates and act on their uh, act action items, right? So if you're supposed to provide your slides or or commit to an attendance number or uh, provide a budget or whatever, if you don't do that, if you don't do those things on time, those people are very very uh, unhappy and frustrated and you're, you're being cruel, you're being cruel. And so I think in, in Judy's case, she just liked her job a whole lot more after that incident. And, you know, she stayed there for the rest of my time in, in Billings and, you know, and I, it's funny cause that was, 
gosh, almost 30 years ago now. And my wife's from Billings. And so when we go back, uh, I stop by where she works today and say hello to her. And, 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 uh, and, you know, it's, it's funny cause she's, she's, oh, I feel like she's always happy to see me and I'm always happy to see her. Um, and, uh, she probably still thinks of me as that disorganized kid from 30 <laughs> years ago. Yeah. There's so much in what she did in the story that we can learn from, you know, I, cause to keep going to you and saying, Hey Ian, we really need to focus on these things and you not paying attention. I mean, that, that took courage that she, clearly she believed in it. But then I think the, the, cause you said the branch was doing well, you were getting sales. So I wonder if she started to doubt herself, like, are these things important? And yeah, I just think it, it must've taken a lot of courage for her to keep going. Yeah. I think she's a fearless person. I don't think she's ever been afraid in her life of anyone. And uh, I think she knows who she is and I think her next move wouldn't have been to doubt herself. It would have been to say, you're, I can't work for you and I'm leaving. And uh, uh, so I don't really know. I mean, not everybody's like that, right? Some people have a lot of self-doubt. and But I think she was too solid. And also this transpired over the course of six or, or nine months or something. And, and, uh, and then it was fixed. And then nine months later, I was gone. I got promoted uh, by Dennis to a big branch in Chicago. <laughs> Oh, wow. Okay. Well, and, and Dennis is another key player in this. I mean, his leadership throughout it, he gave you an opportunity to correct it. He came back and gave you a perfect audit. I mean, so that relationship, he must've really appreciated your willingness to say, Hey, this is on me. I'm going to make this right. Yeah. Well, Dennis was my mentor for many years at Granger and he billed me out more than once because I am, you know, sort of not risk averse. And so I take, you know, I used to tease that I spent most of my corporate career on the razor's edge between being promoted or being fired. Um, and there were probably a couple of times in there, including this one, when, you know, Dennis grabbed me by the collar as I was about to tip over onto the being fired side and pull me back. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, people like, I think it's interesting because the, the, you know, you need sponsors and you need mentors in your career and they're not always the same people, right? So sometimes you have mentors, but they aren't in a line of responsibility. And so they can't really be, you know, sort of your sponsors. But Dennis was really both for me for a long time. And there, he always, and he was very different too. He was much more like Judy than he was like me. And I think one of the things I learned from him was that, hey, you need to appreciate people with different skill sets because he sort of tolerated that side of me that, was strong, but would often frustrate people like him. He just kind of put up with it and coached me and taught me along the way. And over time, I became more like him in terms of appreciating differences. Yeah, I love that. We need each other. We're better together. Yeah, you. the Billings Montana branch was successful because of your partnership with Judy, because of the skills that you each brought to the branch. That's right. That's such a good example of that. Yeah, in some ways she's a proxy, right? Because I had a, I had, there are other people there who were more experienced and who had, you know, communicated some frustration. She was the central person doing it, but there were others as well, you know, helping this kid of a branch manager who was pretty full of himself and pretty confident, even though I was wrong about a lot of stuff. And uh, they really taught me. And, and I, always respected them. And I think over time I earned their respect in return, but it took a while. Yeah, I bet this was a pivotal moment in gain, in gaining respect from the rest of the the staff. Yes, I mean they they immediately saw the difference because I I, I was immediately became very careful to 
do the administrative and operational things and because I realized their importance, not just because I was going to be fired if I didn't do them, but also because, you know, as, as Judy tutored me, I saw their value. Well, and that's the other thing I love about this story is just your humility and recognizing like those are not my areas of giftedness naturally. And so, and so surrounding yourself then throughout your career with people who do have Judy's strengths because you're a better leader with those. I mean, that's, that's your whole point right around the diversity of strengths within the team. I, I can't lead without those people. Not, not, not in a department of any, of any scale or a company of any size. I, I can't, I just can't. I cannot do it. It's like, and the times that I've been offered executive jobs in my career, I, part of the deal is I get an assistant. I can share an assistant, but I have to have one because if I don't, then I'm not going to keep up my calendar and my email, and I'm not going to have someone to stand in my door and 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 you know demand that I get the things done that I'm supposed to get done. And I'm not proud of that. I'm like, well, here I am, warts and all. I'm like, well, that, those are genuine crippling weaknesses if you don't find a way to address them. And, and the way that I have addressed them is I've found, you know, partners who have those strengths and we lead the department together. Yeah. What do you think is, how, how do you go about doing that? Like if, what advice would you give to leaders who recognize that, oh my gosh, I am trying to do all of these things on my own? I think a lot of people circle around it, you know, leaders eat last and, you know, servant leadership. But for me, it comes back to humility that, for none of us is our value defined only by our strengths. Our value is a combination of our strengths and weaknesses in any role. And we all have them. We all have blind spots. You know, all of us have supported people who we later realized we should have stopped supporting. And we failed to support people that we should have supported at the time. And I think bringing some humility is really important. It's kind of like, you know, being a parent. If, you're, if you refuse to apologize to your kids when you are clearly wrong, they will stop listening to you when you are clearly right. And the same is true of management. I remember, you know, I don't know, a few years ago, I wrote an email to a woman who'd worked for me 20 years ago to say, I was a terrible boss for you. I never appreciated the value that you clearly had or tried to help you succeed in my department. And she wrote me a very gracious note back. Now we're connected on Facebook and we trade messages. Uh, but I think you have to you have to maintain your humility and it gets harder as you become more successful because you start to, you know, believe your own nonsense about how great you are. And so to me, it comes back to humility. You know, here you were in this branch manager training program and you certainly got the experience you needed to set you up for a really great career at Granger. I'm not sure that it was the training program, but being promoted like within that because you had a long career at Granger and you led marketing, correct? Yeah, I left as the VP of marketing. I was there 15 years, right? I grew up in distribution, right? As a truck unloader there in college, left as a VP of marketing. Along the way, I finished my degree and my MBA, thanks to Granger, who paid for all that stuff. Um, and uh, but I've done, you know, three other executive jobs that are similar to that with, with you know big companies, and so it's been a, it's been a, a wonderful career, and it would have been derailed or at least greatly delayed if it weren't for the patience and uh, willingness to appreciate differences that Dennis had and the strengths that Judy brought. That was, you know, I call it the day I almost got fired for being stupid, but it was really a strategic inflection point in my young career. 
Well, you so you give Dennis and Judy a lot of credit in the story, and I do think they're key players. I, for me, the thing I hear and want to just reinforce in what you did is you took ownership. And I just, I think of all the times I have, because of my pride, because I want to be right, right? My defenses go up and I rationalize and I justify, and then I miss out on the lesson. And not as grand of a scale and that maybe is your story, but wow. I mean, just the, by dropping the guard and taking ownership for my part, how I can grow in the process. I mean, that's, it's such an important message for all leaders at all levels. I, I haven't always done that. Right. There, there are times even after that, that I, my pride got in the way and I needed other lessons in humility and I can rattle them off because that's probably not the only day I almost got fired for being stupid. Ian Heller, oh my goodness, thank you so much for sharing this incredible story. So many good takeaways. It was really fun to unpack all of those with you. I'm I'm t- I'm walking away with a couple of key things. You know, I you talked about humility and it's it's such a great example of that for me. Sometimes sometimes humility stories are hard for people to talk about, right? Because it's here let me talk about myself being humble. <laughs> but your your story so clearly demonstrates that and then I just the Dennis and Judy dynamic, the just how much that reinforces like the diversity of skills on a team and how important that is. And you said I can't lead without those other strengths. I mean, that's such a good reminder, such a good takeaway is that we need each other and that um, leaders don't go it alone. We need each other and are better together. You know, uh, I, I'll, I'll just say this. Anyone who knows me will laugh at the notion of me talking on a podcast about humility. So I don't want to pretend for, I don't want to pretend for a minute that that's a strength. What I'm saying is I need that more than most people do. Uh, And it's, it's always going to be a struggle. It's not inherent to me. I'm overly, I'm confident beyond what is justified most of the time. What has happened over the years is I have become aware of that tendency (laughs) and I've been able to, been able to tamp it down just a little bit. Yes, right, right. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast to never miss a Being at Work story.